morning, church. What a great morning. Like, what a great time. Like, what a great time to be, like, here in this place, you know, together. Um, I have a confession to make. Like, I love you guys. Like, I really do. Like, uh, and I think it's Jesus' fault because I love Jesus so much, and Jesus loved the church, and so I can't love Jesus and not love all of y'all, right? So it's, it's great. And, uh, I don't do love perfectly, so I apologize uh, for any toes that get stepped on and uh, you know feelings that get hurt. Uh, in love, we move through everything together, though, right? That's the thing. So by the power of the Spirit, we get over those things. We get over those uh, personal differences and, and idiosyncrasies and whatnot. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Nick Adams, and I'm the youth pastor here at the church. I've um, been coming to this church for uh, over... Over 10 years, uh, came to faith in this church, baptized in this church. Uh, yeah, incredible. So I love this place. And, and it's so cool that God has put us all here together at this time in this place for this reason. And that each and every person here who knows Jesus has a role to play in what God is doing in this community and what He's going to do through the power of His Spirit, through people who go out of this community into the world. And that's amazing to think about. Uh, it gives me goosebumps. It gives me those Holy Spirit shivers, you know, when I think about that. Uh, how that we're all at this time and place for this reason. Um, if I ask you a question, you can feel free to answer it or raise your hand. If I say raise your hand on that type of thing, and if you, if you want to say amen, that's all good as well. Um, just a question. Raise your hand if you weren't in this community 15 years ago. Like, raise your hand right now if you weren't in this community 15 years ago. By my rough guesstimation, that seems like about half of us. Um, you know, 15 years was a lifetime ago in some cases. I don't, I don't see. Like, raise your hand if you weren't alive 15 years ago. That's a better question. Yeah. See, there you go. Right. So it was a lifetime ago. 15 years was a lifetime ago, and so much can happen when we have this ability to look back and see where we were and where we've come from and where God has brought us. Right. That hindsight. That. Hindsight being 2020, we have that vision that we can look back and we can see this picture that God has created in our own lives. Uh, I call God the greatest connect the dot producer ever, right? Because He makes these connect the dot puzzles. Anyone like connect the dots? Like when you're a kid, like I used to love it. I'm just like one, two, three, four. It's like what's it going to be? Is it a bell? Is it? A... <laughs> And when you get to that picture, when you see that picture that all those little dots were created, and, and you put it all together, and when God does it, you look back and you just say, wow, praise God for what you've done and where you've brought me. Um, I want to talk to you today about proximity. And proximity really means, and this is the dictionary defini definition, it means nearness and place in time, in order, in occurrence, or relation. Okay, that's what proximity means. And this morning I want to break it down uh, to the following, just to let you know where we're heading here. I want to talk about God's proximity to mankind through Jesus coming and dying and sending His Spirit to live in believers. Okay, so that's salvation. I'm going to talk about that today, which is great. Um, what I also want to talk about is our proximity to each other. That all of us are here for this time and this place to share our gifts and support and encourage each other. 
And so that's the church. So I want to talk about proximity in relation to the church today. And lastly, I want to look at your proximity or our proximity to those who don't know Jesus. And that what we engage in, be it our work or our recreation, how we use where God has put us in order to evangelize and make disciples. And so that, in a, in a, in a statement, is that's our mission. right? So I want to talk about the salvation. I want to talk about the church. And I want to talk about our mission. Before we go any further, let me just open in a word of prayer. Good morning, God. Uh, man, I'm humbled. You know, I'm humbled every time uh, you open those doors to let me speak the truth from your word, God. And so, God, as I speak today, uh, by the power of your spirit, I just would like these words to go out and just take root in people's hearts, God. And I just pray that as people walk out of here today, that there's something, there's an encouragement of some kind that they can walk away from where they can say they were touched by you today, God. That would just be amazing. And God, I pray that for each and every person here. God, I pray that my words won't be a stumbling block to anybody seeing your truth. And God, that this would just be about you and your love for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. I had the privilege of speaking at at another church exactly five years ago today. And at that time, it was the 10th anniversary of something that they say changed the world. And Graham spoke about it briefly in prayer this morning. And as I spoke to uh, about 100 people in attendance that day, it took us back to a time when the world changed forever, they say. And so anyone who's under 20 here today won't remember where they were when the World Trade Center North and South Towers collapsed right around actually this time, 15 years ago. I remember where I was, and I just want to take you through a little journey that's going to bring us to where we're going proximity, so bear with me for a moment. I was sitting in my basement when every single network, it seemed, was switching over to this live coverage of what was happening. It was about 9.30, and I think I was looking for the Maury Povich show, switching, you know, because they were doing that lie detector test, and I just wanted to see if it was... And images of fire coming out of the towers were on the screen, and, and... My initial reaction was confusion. I didn't know where it was even. I was on WGN Chicago, and I thought it was in Chicago. That's how oblivious I was. And they started explaining, and the news anchors were trying to stay on top of the information that was seen to be coming in just by the minute there was new information, and new information was coming in, and it was all unconfirmed, they said. And people were wondering, was this an accident? Was this some kind of accident? And then video emerged of, of airplanes hitting towers. within 15 minutes of each other. And when a fire was reported at the Pentagon a short time later, those words came on the screen. It says, America under attack. And moments later, before anyone could process that information, the tower collapsed and another plane crash was reported in a field in Pennsylvania and this reality set in. And for the first time ever, every single plane that was outgoing or inbound in the United States, was told to land at the closest airport. It was 10.30 in the morning on a beautiful September morning, just like we have this morning. Fifteen years ago, they say the world changed. And not to minimize the events of that day, or diminish what it led to, this war on terror that has seen millions die, and millions more displaced as a result. Not to minimize that, but you could have a thousand 9-11s you can have a million line 11s. It doesn't come even close to a shadow of the glory of the truth that the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. 
Amen. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross to make a way for man to get back to God. And that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. You see, that changed the world forever. I'm just getting started, so... You see, it was four months after the towers came down that I first stepped foot in this village. Has anyone first stepped foot in this village like just in the past week? Is it the first time you stepped in the village? Anyone? Hey, welcome. We'll talk later. I'll fill you in. <laughs> just so you know, you can live in Halliburton for 20 years. They'll never call you a Halliburtonian. You have to have a grandfather that was born here. Amen, right? January 2002, I came to visit a friend on a vacation. And there was something here I could not explain at that point. It told me, move here. Move here. But what's here? There's nothing here. You know, at that time it was like, you know, those metrics. There's not a McDonald's. You know, the McDonald's is in Bancroft, right? It's just like, there's... We didn't even talk about where there was in Tim Hortons or anything. It's like, that came later, but... But there's nothing here. And as I had this conversation with myself, it said, well, what do you have? Well, I have nothing. We've got nothing meeting nothing. Seems like a match made in heaven, right? So I went back to where I was living at that time, London, Ontario, and I packed all my belongings. And I moved here February 7, 2002. And it felt right. No job. No money. No home. No faith. No faith. I had no faith. But I stepped out and followed that urging. And just a disclaimer here, don't follow every urging. Okay? This isn't about following every urging that you come across. This is part of my journey, though, a three-year journey of looking for truth. And it just seemed like this was the time and place to move. So, one day later, I got a job, I got a home, and it seemed like that was confirmation you know, from the universe or whatever I believed at that time. Confirmation from the universe that this is the place, right? However, on the first day of summer that year, one month after I turned 28, I'd reached the end. Or so I thought. Everything that was given to me was taken away. I lost the job. I lost the home. I lost the girlfriend. And I was met with this reality that my life, the sum total of my life, had no value and never would. I was a failure of the worst kind. Doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And now it was time to become that which I was destined to be. And I heard this other urging. It said, do it. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was clearly impressing upon me to do this. Get this over with. And I tried to kill myself. And the God of this universe intervened. He sent someone at 2 in the morning to my apartment to check on me. And they found me. And I'm not saying that my injuries were life-threatening, that I was going to succumb to those injuries. There was blood. But there was something beneath the surface that was damaged far more than my physical body. I had gone to this place where I didn't want to exist. I was dead. I was dead. I remember crying and crying and crying until I was all out of tears. And as I was restrained and taken against my will to Peterborough, to spend some time there in a hospital. Part of me passed away. 
I woke up that morning and I've never, I felt something I'd never felt before in my life. I felt empty of any care or concern for my own well-being. That survival instinct that's within all of us was gone. I didn't want to die. I was just rather disgusted with the entire idea that I even existed. I stayed in that state for almost two days. Sleeping, not eating, not bathing. I woke up at one point and my brother had come from Toronto and all I could muster was, sorry, you have to come here for this. I was gone. It seemed like I was now stuck in between two worlds, right? I was no longer living and I wasn't dead. I was just in a state of existing. And in my indignation and contempt, I cried out to a God that I didn't believe in and I said to Him, God, you better give me a sign here. I need you to show me something because I'm ready to give up. I'm done with this. I'm not playing this game anymore. Like a petulant child, right? Who's made a huge mess and is standing before his father and he's saying, I'm not going to clean this up. You do it. And you know what? Within two hours as I stand here today, I testify to the fact that the God of this universe who has made everything that's seen and unseen, who holds time and space in the span of His hand, entered into my life and said, Here I am. How did He do that? We're getting there, okay? We're getting there. What was this sign that God sent me? Was it sky riders in the sky? Here's what I can begin with, and I want us to begin with this morning as I take you on this very personal journey of mine. God allowed me to see that He existed by allowing me to feel His love through people that knew Him and loved Him. I didn't know Him. I didn't love Him. I didn't know who He was. And here I was demanding His direct attention and His intervention into my life. And He used His people to allow me for the first time in my life to feel His love for me. I still get goosebumps as I speak about it. That time that I saw true love, that I felt true love come into my proximity. This love was torn out of the pages of the Bible, I would learn later, right? There it was, standing right in front of me in my room, sitting on my bed. And although they didn't realize it at the time, they changed my life that day. Not only did I get what can only be described as this supernatural exposure to the love of God, I felt hope. I felt hope. Not fairy tale hope. Not wishing on a star or blowing out your birthday candles hope. I felt this let's get down to business and try and fix this mess hope. And that was something I never felt before. Now, understand, I'm still more than two years away from accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and repenting. But God met me where I was through the power of His Holy Spirit. Using His followers, I came into His proximity. And when you feel it, you follow it. And the road only leads to Him. So here I am today. We're trying to figure out how to use this plan that God has here in Halliburton in order to accomplish what He wants to do here. So the question for you is, do you realize the power that you have through the Spirit of God? 
that we can share with people His love, His hope, His grace, just by simply getting close to them? You see, we were made for relationship. This is cool. We were made in God's image, right? The God of the universe being one, but existing in this relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a creator who wants a relationship with that which He created. That's what we were designed for. It's woven into who we are. And you see, in order for us to carry out the work that He has for us to do, and believe it, if you're a follower of Jesus, He has a specific work, a job description for you that only you can accomplish while you're here on earth. It's not something He's going to ask someone else to do. It's your job. So consider where He's put you and where He's gifted you. You see, just as I first felt the love of God through the proximity to those who knew Him and loved Him, we need to consider our proximity to others and how God intended us to be in relationship, not just with Him, but with each other, right, as the church. And through this church, the body of believers, how each of us has been called to evangelize, to share this relationship that we have with others. Okay, you follow See, it was God's plan to create a new relationship with mankind through Jesus Christ. And to grow it through the power of His Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in God's Word. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God coming to earth as Jesus Christ is about as personal as the relationship could get, right? Now, you might think you have a comfortable home, some nice stuff, good setup. Jesus was in heaven, in full communion with the Creator of the universe. The Father and the Spirit is one. He had the setup of setups. And it's important for us as we start to consider the barriers that we think are preventing us from reaching others, that we take a look about what God did in order to reach us. He came out of heaven. We're not talking about, you know, moving from... You know, a small house in the suburbs into a mansion in the city or, 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 or downsizing. You know, if you look at a downsizing scenario, it's like God moved from a million acres. Is, is there anything that's a million acres? Yeah, there's got to be a million acres somewhere. A million acre plantation with a mansion with so many rooms you could hardly count. And He traded all that in to be naked in a dumpster. Do you get it? Do you get that now with the relationship that God was, was willing, how far He was willing to go in order to get back to have a relationship with, with us, with you? That's how remarkable this incarnation is, this Word becoming flesh is. It's created this new relationship opportunity that had never, never existed before. In, in no time in history had God done, God done this, and in no time is He going to do it again. Next time Jesus comes, He's riding on the clouds. Right? Amen. Hallelujah. Right? And so, you know, like Jesus got hungry. Right? He got tired. He got smelly. He had to use the washroom. Like he did everything that man would do. He submitted Himself to that lowly form. Right? That's as personal as it gets. And that's why these Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like these are, so, these are treasures that we have. 
Because in them we get this picture, we get this snapshot of what it was like when God came to earth and walked around and rubbed shoulders with people. And so it gives us the ability to say, well, okay, so how did Jesus do it? And what does it mean to me today? It's neat how Jesus' relationship with the first disciples began in the book of John. On the word of their teacher, John the Baptist, who said, there is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. These guys came over to Jesus and they said, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see. He said, come and see. Right? He extended this invitation to come and be in the presence. And it's so cool because uh, they went and saw for themselves and based on what they saw, after a teacher, somebody they respected, had told, told them who he was, they went and told others. Right? Immediately that's what happens. We have found the Messiah. He said. And Jesus does that little trick where he says, I saw you under the tree there. And that's like, whoa. Saw me under the tree. This proximity. Discipleship and its beginnings and its operation is found right here. Look at how Jesus called Matthew. So in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees dun, 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 saw this, that's not in Scripture, sorry, the dun-dun-dun, but so, every time you see Pharisees, there's going to be something that's going to be just this, this thrill kill, right, that comes on the scene. So, on hearing this, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It says, Later in Luke, it says that he welcomed sinners and dined with them. And the religious people that day had a problem with that. And Jesus' response, look at this, in Luke chapter 15, he tells these three parables to answer them. The parable of the lost sheep. Right? You have a hundred sheep and one goes away. Jesus says there will be, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents then over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The parable of the lost coin. He says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then finally, and probably the most well-known parable spoken about, this parable of the prodigal son. It tells us how the father said to the son who was upset of, of his father's reaction to this, his brother coming home, he said, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so Jesus, through His ministry, is always found in close relationship to the marginalized and the oppressed. And He rails against the religious people who have a problem with it. His ministry is about coming and helping those who need help. And if we understand our position before God in light of that, we can understand what we need to do then, right? I'll get to that in a second. 
When the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years came into proximity of God in the flesh, right, what did she do? Touched his cloak, it says. And Jesus says, who touched me? Because I felt my power leave me. He's setting the stage for what is to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Living in the body of His church. Giving them power and authority to let them, to let them allow it to leak out wherever they go. I got that beautiful picture this week as I considered about that first time that I felt God's love and hope. The fact that they did something so simple, but I got, like the Spirit leaked out of them. It just leaked out of them. Now we know that the problem of sin has but one solution, right? And we need to be hypersensitive to this about how the individual sinner comes into proximity of that realization. Because it's going to require us to have a sensitivity that's not in our DNA, right? It's not a part of our nature to be patient and long-suffering with people. Especially people whose lives reflect something that we deem to be inappropriate or unacceptable. And so here's where God and His wisdom created a foolproof plan to allow His good news to continue to spread even after Jesus had died. Jesus said He had to go away, and it was good that He did. He said, because if he didn't go away, the counselor wouldn't come. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, his disciples will be able to do more than Jesus. Well, how's that possible? More than Jesus, right? Jesus says, as he's pouring out his teaching in the final hours of his life, he says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. There's that picture right there. Holy Spirit. And this is where God's proximity to mankind takes another turn. takes its final turn. There's no new revelation coming, right? Scripture warns of that. But this final turn that Jesus teaches that, he's, that God didn't only come and, and live in the flesh in the form of, of, of Himself, Jesus, but He's going to be in us. The separation that sin had brought into man's relationship with God is eliminated by the death, death of Jesus on the cross and His resurrection. And now God is sticking around the neighborhood in this supernatural way by coming to take up residence in the body of every believer who would call upon the name of Jesus. That's truly incredible. Together, God's Word says we're the body of Christ. The bride of Christ. The church. And like a body, we have many different parts, right? Paul talks about that. The Apostle Paul and Pastor Paul. We've heard this, right? This isn't new to us. The fact that this church has all different parts. And we've all been supernaturally gifted for following Jesus in some way, with some gift, in order to do this specific work that God has us to do. And it's tied into your relationship with God. And it's tied into your relationship with the rest of the body, right? Because it says an arm just can't be an arm, right? Like, just can't say go away. We, need, we all need each other. This is how God can support us and encourage us and share hope with those who need it. In 2 Corinthians, 
1, 3 to 7, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Nine times this word comfort is used in this text in the Greek. Paraclesis? Paraclesis, yeah. right? And it doesn't have this idea of comfort like a big uh, lazy boy recliner, right? It's not comfort for the sake of us feeling good. That's a benefit of receiving this comfort. But this moves towards this action of strengthening us. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable, but He makes us, He gives us comfort so that we can turn into comforters of others. This is why we need to be around those who need us, who need this comfort, either through evangelism for those who don't know, or through discipleship for those who have accepted Jesus and are struggling. God wants both. He wants us to share comfort with each other and also to strengthen this church, but reach out into the community to share the love and hope of Christ with them. Being hands and feet of Jesus, right? Salt and light. It says in Matthew, it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you take a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. So the challenge now, so where we're moving into the challenge and application, because that's what God's Word says, is how can we get closer to people through intentional relationship so that we're able to disciple one another and to evangelize and is it possible for us to do this for, through our work? Or even better, nobody likes work really. I love my work, but I work here, so you'd love it too. Um, but through our recreation, can God, can God use what we take passion in recreation and use it to reach people for Christ? And if so, would you take part in that, right? Where does that leave you? So what is the demand that God has on your time and talents and treasures today? God has painted us this picture of the redemption plan for mankind, and now He's calling you to be practically involved in it. So this is where the rubber meets the road, right? And you're going to distinguish yourself as a follower of Jesus or just a religious person. It's how you invade the lives of others. And so today I share with you this idea of proximity, our closeness to God, His closeness to us, our closeness to each other. But it's not proximity alone that's going to affect change. It can affect that change to turn someone in a direction. We're looking for long-lasting, life-changing. Coming to that salvation, that point of repentance. Or turning from something and following Jesus after we've been led astray down, down the path. The cool thing is, as you get into proximity of other people, Jim Taylor's not here. Why, why is Jim Taylor not here? I'm going to pick on Jim Taylor for a minute. Okay. But... 
You see, Mark Bangay, right? Where Mark, where Mark is at, if he's shooting his gun, and I know he likes to shoot guns, right? He's in proximity to other people who enjoy doing that as well. Like God's put him there in that thing. He's gifted him with that, with that passion for that pastime. Can God use that? What about playing video games with a bunch of teenagers? Because I like to play video games. I'm really good at hockey. I beat them all the time. But anyway, um, who said that? Oh, you, Finley. After church, rec room. You're on. Okay. But you see, here's the thing. The Spirit of God is present with us as we go. This is the cool thing. We can practice the presence of Christ just by being in a situation. Just by being in someone else's presence. Christ is in us and we are with them. And then we get to this point where through relationship building, so actually through building a real relationship, not just how's it going, but actually talking about life and doing life together and hanging out, sharing good times, sharing struggles, you can get to this point with somebody where you can share in this powerlessness that we all have. This powerlessness that Jesus himself took on when he left heaven, right? He said he could summon angels. He said he could summon a million angels, right? To come and get him out of that. He could have got out of that, but he didn't, right? He submitted himself to his form that he was in. And so we, we share this powerlessness that even as we're following Christ, right, we aren't perfect works. But God's still doing a work in us. And without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, we're nothing. We're in the same position as the unrepentant sinner without Christ. And as you share your story, right? Your short story doesn't have to be as dramatic as mine, but you all have a story. You all have something to say about where you were when you first felt God come to life in your life, right? God showed up in your life. And by you sharing your story with somebody else, do you know what happens when you share this powerlessness? Is they can start to see themselves in your story. Right? It doesn't end there. Because as you share your story, you share Christ's story. And that's this proclamation of Jesus as Lord. That's the Gospel. That's sharing the Gospel. And if you don't know what the Gospel is, you're not going to share it with anybody, right? If you don't know what it is, I was in a meeting with, with some well-intentioned people, 20-odd youth workers, four years ago. And the first question was, the person that, it was an evangelism thing, and they said, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And nobody wanted to put up their hand. Nobody wanted to say kind of the wrong. Is it right? Is it wrong? The gospel can get boiled down to some very simple things, right? God is holy. Sin came into the world. Man, man sinners. We all need some way to get back to God, right? We can't. We can't build that bridge ourselves. And the fact that Jesus came in order to create a way back to God. And through the power of His Spirit, He's conforming us into God's image. That's the good news of this entirety, right? And you're all going to have your own way to share that with somebody. You see, we're sent on this mission to share that with the world. And the good news is, that's a complete story. It doesn't depend on our perfection, right? It doesn't depend on how well we're doing in our life. The fact what God did didn't change. And so don't be afraid to share your story, even if at times you aren't feeling like you're just at that, you know, whatever it is, a 425 hitter or whatever you need to think you need to be in order to be effective. God will use 
150 hitters to share his message if you let him. Baseball analogies, I don't know, it just came in there. You see, we don't ask people to be convinced by our arguments. We don't need to, to convince people. You know, it was cool on Friday night. We had people asking. And we just did a drop-in over at the rec room. We had over 20 kids out. We had four kids that had never been into, never been into any context of our ministry before. And this conversation started with a kid. Because he brought it up, right? And as it went on, it turned into, you know, okay, what about this? And da, 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 And it just turned into fact. You know, he thought he had a lot of facts and this and that. And I said to him, I said, you can have all the facts in the world. You can have all the, you, you, you know, you think if you study the Koran and if you study the Bible and if you study, you know, all these religious texts, it's somehow going to make you a well-rounded person. But until you deal with your own brokenness and come to Jesus, it's all just a bunch of stuff, right? And so the relationship continues. So where we're going with youth ministry. See, where, what would our church look like in two years or five years by investing in relationship? And I'm specifically talking about young people, but if you don't feel that God's calling you to work with young people, He's calling you to work with some people, right? To figure who these people are and who you need to get into relationship with. If we set our minds on this proximity, getting close to people, and practicing the presence of Christ, and sharing in the powerlessness that we all that we all have, and proclaiming Christ in, as Lord, it leads us to this next part, which is discipleship. Right? It leads us to this natural conclusion of discipleship of somebody coming to Jesus and saying, "How do I then live the rest of my life?" And so, we who are followers, we gather together and we encourage each other and equip each other. So that we can go and carry out that great commission, right? Which is make disciples of all nations. What if the only nation we were to focus on for this next season is the nation of Halliburton County? What would our what would our world, our nation look like in two to five years? What kind of transformation might we see in our ministries all across our church if we just simplified our simplified our approach to how we view evangelism and focus on relationship as the most effective way in order to carry that out? You see, in youth ministry, before I even came on staff in January of last year, relationship was something that the ministry was just bursting with. Leaders getting together and hanging out and sharing life with kids and having them over and bonfires and all kinds of great stuff. It's relationship that got the ship, got the ship going. And then little by little, other things get brought in and you start leading kids and you start discipling and Bible studies pop up. And But it starts with that relationship. We have gifted relationship building, building people in this congregation. People are nice. People are nice. I find it amazing. In the other churches in the area, there's nobody nicer than you guys. Right? And so for us as a ministry, we need to make sure we have enough volunteers, enough hands on deck in order to make sure that when 25 or 30 kids are around, we have, we have, uh, we're there to support the kids that are there. Our kids, the ones in our church, and the kids from the community as well. I'm happy to say we only had one major chocolate milk spill on Friday and only one concussion, so we're, we're doing well out of the gate. I get it. <laughs> oh, man. You see, the, thing, the cool thing is we have kids now. We have kids in this congregation who are living in relationship amongst their peers, who love Jesus Christ, and these kids are on hockey, or these kids are on football. Why did I say hockey? I hate hockey. These kids are on football teams with their peers. And their peers are asking them, what's this Christian thing about? They're asking them. And so now is the time for us to build up our kids 
to put foundation underneath them. Because do you know what? You take a 15-year-old and build them up and equip them, that person is going to reach more people for Christ than the best youth pastor in Canada. Oh, sorry. The best youth pastor in Canada ever could. They're going to reach more of their, their own peers because they understand their culture. They live in it every day. So, I'm just going to invite you just to raise your hand if you think youth ministry is important here at Lakeside. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, get up. No, I'm just kidding. It is important. This is our next generation, right? And we are so blessed in this church. We are caretakers of the fact that God has happened to put literally 99% of the young people who are following Jesus are, are in this church, in this community. There's like 1% somewhere else. But, um, and so, reaching this generation, we have to understand the gospel is the only thing that can save, right? Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, the cool thing is, is where we're going with youth ministry, where we kind of see it going, just to close here, it's focused around volunteers who love Jesus and volunteers who want to get together with kids around common interests. Think about what it is that you take joy in in your pastime and consider whether or not God is speaking to you and calling you to maybe share that, to share that time and life together on a regular basis that you decide with a couple of young people. You know, and build relationship, whether it's fixing motorcycles, working on trucks, you know, playing hockey. What is it that you like to do that a couple of young people can come alongside of? Now, fear not. If you do just want to hang out with kids on a Friday night in a crazy youth group setting, we have opportunities there too, okay? If you are more of that type of person. See where God takes this, right? See where God takes the relationship. You need to enter with the expectation that somewhere along the way you're going to see God move in your group. And it's about spending your time. I think our culture has messed up our priorities where money is becoming the most important thing. People think they need the money to do all the things in their life. But time is the most valuable commodity that we have. And time with our young people, coming alongside of them is so important. We need to see this generation reach their potential in Christ so they can go on and share this message. Today, if you hear His voice speaking to you, telling you, now is your time to get involved. Don't harden your heart. Step out and watch what He will do through you. Let's pray. Wow, God. Thank you that that message was for me, God. Thanks that you you preached that message to my heart. God, it took root by the power of your Spirit in my heart. I have the desire to build into young people today. God, I pray by Your Spirit right now that You're causing people's minds to just start to turn to figure out, hey, who, who can I start hanging out with? What do I like to do? What am I passionate about, God? How can You use me where I am in order to fulfill Your purposes here? God, this is an exciting time here in this church. It's an exciting time to be alive here. That You brought us all here at this time in this place to experience life together. God, I pray that love would be the thing that binds us all. That love would be that thing that we can start to build relationship with. And God, through showing that love, 
you're going to show up in our circumstances, God, as we're present with people. God, we trust that you're going to do that. We await, we wait to see with, with anticipation what you're going to do, God. Through the power of your Spirit, through us as your body, here at Lakeside.